Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you truly would be our vision all the time, all day. You are truly our best thought by day or by night. And God, we thank you that your book reveals you and yourself to us. And as we open your book now and study its words, may you cause us to know you more, to know your son more. May we understand uh, the significance of Christ and why he came, understand and equip us so that we may be prepared and equipped for living in this world, in this fallen world. And as we face trials and temptations and troubles and afflictions, may you cause us to hold on even more to Jesus Christ. That our faith in him would grow beyond just faith for eternal life, but faith for every day of our lives. God, may you increase our faith this morning, increase our love through understanding more of who Jesus is, more of your will for our lives and your plan for us, your church. Thank you, Father, that we exist because of Christ, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, good morning. Uh, Take them and turn with me to, again, the book of Hebrews. So we'll be in Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 8, as we're going to look at today. And even as I prepared, I realized, no, it's a a little bigger passage than I I wanted to take. But, uh, oh, well, uh, then I had planned to do it, but studying it and getting through it, I said, wow. There's a lot of stuff here, a lot of meat, a lot of solid food. <laughs> that, uh, well, it'll be like a, like a, like a buffet, and it's, you just can't eat it all. But uh, you eat what you like, eat what you can, and may God's word encourage your soul. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 8 is where we'll be today. Well, as it means introduction, just a... Uh, in one week, if many of you know already know, our summer day camp ministry is beginning. Uh, the and we have over eighty kids registered, and uh, almost as many people helping out, and that's a wonderful encouragement. It's exciting to think about the gospel ministry that will be taking place over the next three weeks. It starts not this Monday, but the following Monday, uh, and going Monday to Friday for three weeks. And uh, I'm thankful for many of you who have volunteered to help out in different ways. Many of you just even giving uh, still can help out through the donations and things like that. Or, and, um, but not beyond that, all of us as a church can help by just simply praying. And praying because ultimately the work that's going to be accomplished at our day camp is going to be a work that God accomplishes, right? God is going to do the work of opening hearts and opening souls and um, helping the children that we're going to minister to believe in the gospel of Christ to believe, and to grow in their faith. We, we pray these things because we know that this is what God desires, right? And so I ask you, just, just pray for the day camp, pray for the staff, pray for day camp kids, pray that they would, uh, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth, that they would come to know Jesus Christ. Um, pray that for those that are already Christians, some of the Christian children are already believers in Jesus, 
that they would even that you can pray for them that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, these are good things to pray because these are biblical things. These are things that God desires that we would come to the saving knowledge of Christ and that we would grow in the knowledge of Christ. It would be an odd thing, of course, if we, as we think about children, particularly children, that what happens if they, if they don't grow? They come to faith in Jesus Christ and they believe, they say they believe, they pray their, a prayer, they, uh, they go, you know, having heard this, the, the, uh, the gospel, and then somehow, for some reason, they, they don't grow. They don't grow in their faith in Christ. They don't grow in their knowledge of Christ, their love of Christ. That would be, I think for many of us, we would say that there's something not right about that. It's something that's, that's, that's not intended by God. We expect, believing these children that come to faith, we expect them to grow. Because God designed it, has designed it that way, that we would grow. But what happens when they don't? What happens when they remain uh, in faith, but in an immature faith? We might say, someone might say, well, if they're saved, that's all that matters. You know, as long as they are going to, when they die, they're going to go to heaven. That's, that's all that matters. What harm, maybe one might even think, of if they just remain spiritually immature all their lives, as long as they prayed that prayer to receive Christ, and then it's, it's all good. But today's passage teaches us and answers for us some of these questions that we have. It teaches us about the danger of remaining in spiritual immaturity. It teaches us of the, the ramifications, what, what can happen to those children, but even those of us as adults, who remain stagnant in immature faith. And it will teach us and encourage us to instead grow towards maturity in our faith. The book of Hebrews has been a book that's been reminding us uh, of the superiority of Christ. And this is, and he is the answer for an immature faith. To look to Christ, to fix your eyes on Christ. This book is has been showing the, the readers how much greater is Christ. That Christ is, is greater than anything they were tempted to turn back to. That Christ is greater than the angels, chapters 1 to 2. That Christ is greater than Moses, chapters 3 to 4. And then beginning in 4.15 all the way through chapter 10, verse 18, we are, see, we are going to see, we have been seeing, that Christ is greater than the Levitical priests. In fact, we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. Within this latter theme of that Christ is the greater, better high priest, today's passage is, a, some, is what we might call, what commentators call a, a parenthetical comment, as well as a warning to believers of the danger of spiritual immaturity. That is possible because of these believers were fearful of, of uh, persecution and they were, in a, they were being tempted to fall away. And it was because, and he, 
the author, he was recognized that it's because they had an immature faith that was making them susceptible to the temptation to fall away from Christ. And so we're going to look at this passage in three sections. We're going to learn three truths, three encouragements to press on to maturity in Christ. Three encouragements to press on to maturity in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. So hopefully this is a, a, if you know Hebrews, this is one of those challenging passages to interpret, but uh, you know, we will uh, look at it on a, to, the best, uh, to the best of time that we have uh, this morning, and hopefully it will encourage you and to dig deeper and be like the Bereans and, and to check it out and study it and hopefully grow in your knowledge of, this, uh, of, this, of the Word of God. So the first encouragement that we have to press on to maturity in Christ, we find in verses 11 to 14 of chapter 5, and that is the problem with immaturity. The problem with immaturity. What's, what's wrong with being immature? We all go through, uh, we're all at some point immature, right? But what's the problem with immaturity? What's, what's wrong if you remain in immaturity in our faith? Verse 11 to 14, we read these words. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil." Here in these four verses, it's just as we've read it, there's an there's a imagery that kind of grows throughout this whole passage. There's an imagery of the contrast of the immature with the mature. And it's pictured through this image of, of, the, of an infant in the diet of an infant, a diet of milk or a diet of solid food. We all know that newborn babies do not eat solid food. They don't even eat mushy food. They only eat milk, milk that their mothers provide. But as those infants grow, we all know that as they grow, they start to start eating that solid food. They grow it to beyond their milk. Not that they don't they stop drinking milk, but they continue to also add on solid food to their diet. And so in a similar way, we are learning from this past that newborn Christians, young Christians, feed off the milk of the elementary principles of God's word principles that we would call and summarize with the term the gospel. Those are the elementary principles. But as these newborn Christians grow, they, they will start to grasp and digest truths that are beyond the gospel. Truths that are beyond the, the four spiritual laws or the, you know, the five, you know, four gospel truths, subjects that we might focus on. They will digest truths about the church, for instance, They will digest truths about the world that we live in. They will digest truths about Christian ethics. They will digest truths about the end times, return of Christ. And now in this particular place in Hebrews, the author wants them to digest this truth about Christ as the priest who is according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, an immature Christian, hopefully not you, 
may not have any knowledge of what that is all about. A priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, or you might not even care. As an immature Christian, you would probably have that kind of attitude. Just like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't care. But a mature Christian will understand its significance. Not only for our salvation, but its significance for why we need to hold on to Christ. And the author of Hebrews will get to that in chapter 7. So you can look there ahead if you'd like to at some point. But the problem, however, is that many of these Hebrew Christians were still immature in their faith. They, they, couldn't even, they couldn't even understand or grasp this whole idea about a, Jesus being a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And the reason is because they had become dull of hearing, says the author in verse 11. They were slow to learn, according to the NIV. The same Greek word is used that's translated dull here, is translated later in chapter 6, verse 12, as the word sluggish. Sluggish. So these people were sluggish in their hearing. They were dull in their hearing. They were slow to hear, slow to listen, slow to receive the word of God. And what we see with the problem with immaturity in our faith is that the first problem is that one becomes slow to hear and receive God's word. When you're immature in your faith, you are slow to hear God's word. Is that not true with real life? How many of you have children and you try to tell them to do something? Don't you, aren't you amazed when they respond the first time? Absolutely. <laughs> I usually have to say two or three times or more sometimes. I have to get their attention first. And even if they, if I, they, under, they heard me this, and they kind of understood what I said, they still might not go do it. It's because they're immature. And I give them a pass because they're still immature. But I'm hoping that they're going to grow. And I hope that they're going to hear and receive my word. But an immature Christian is slow to hear and receive God's word. And they're dull to hearing. And that makes them not, basically, it causes them to be uninterested in what God's word has to say. As immature Christians, God's word is not the most precious thing to them. They might know about Christ. They might be excited about their forgiveness and salvation, that they go to heaven. But studying God's word may not be the, come be the first thing to their mind. When they come to church, they, they are excited about truths of Christ. They're excited to sing their praise of the Lord. But the Sunday sermon, well, that's just something to be tolerated rather than to be treasured. An immature Christian doesn't grow in their knowledge of God's word because they're just not interested in it. Because they're dull of hearing. They're sluggish. The second problem with an immature Christian is that As a result, they are unequipped to teach others. We see this in verse 12. They're unequipped to teach. You know, the the author points out that these Hebrew Christians should have been able to to teach others by this point. But instead, they are those who still need someone to teach them about the elementary principles of the gospel, of God's word. They still, using this analogy of a child, they still need milk. They can't handle solid food yet. And so, and this is striking because Jesus Christ commissions his church to do what? To make disciples, right? And how do we make disciples? We baptize them, but also teach them, teach others. As followers of Christ, if you're going to teach others, you have to know God's word. But if you have an immature faith that is unable to teach others, 
you're not going to do a very good job in making disciples. If you can't teach others, you're not going to make disciples. That's the truth. The third problem with immaturity is that one is going to wrestle with righteous living. You're going to wrestle with living righteously before God. Verse 13 states that immature Christians are unaccustomed to the word of righteousness. Now, some do take this phrase to refer to this word of righteousness, to refer to the gospel truth of that Christ imputed righteousness to us, that when we believe in Jesus, Christ's righteousness is credited to us just as our sins have been placed upon Christ. And that is a gospel truth, that doctrine of the righteousness of, that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. But I don't take it that way. I, I take it that this is the word that, that calls us to righteous living. Because the previous verse equates milk with elementary principles of God's word, which means the gospel, of which Christ's righteousness is a significant part. And so if they're, they're already grasping the gospel of Christ's righteousness, then it wouldn't make much sense for them to say that they're unaccustomed to the word of righteousness in that sense. So I think they're unaccustomed to the word that calls them to live righteously. And I think furthermore, the next verse, which focuses on Christian ethics, the discerning of good and evil, the practice of the Christian of the Word of God, this is all emphasizes this is characteristic of righteous living that is in view. An immature Christian, then, because they don't really know God's Word, and though they might know the elements of the basic elements of the gospel, they can tell you basically that you believe in Jesus Christ, died on the cross for your sins, and so you rose a great, so now I'm forgiven of my sins if I believe in Him, and I can have you know eternal life when I die. But they may not be able to talk about. The, the kind of life that they are to live as a Christian. So what do we do with my life now? How do I live? They will continue to live probably like the world because that's the world. They were saved out of that world. The immature Christian, because they don't hear or respond to God's word, they not only don't teach it at others, but they don't live by it, right? And they don't even know what is good and evil They don't even know what is right and wrong. I think we all understand and we can see uh, see how this works because we see it in in many churches today that we have too many immature Christians who don't know God's word and don't live by God's word. And their lives end up being more guided by the world than by the word. I think all of you know what month this is. It's June, but all across our city, it's now called Gay Pride Month, right? Many of you know this. You, you can just look on your social media, maybe find out, you know, just uh, you, and maybe you can just know other Christians, but how many Christians are going to be supporting Pride Month this, week, this month? How many of them are going to be participating and uh, celebrating the homosexual lifestyle that are represented by the, the flags that are flying all across our city and nation. So, well, if you don't do that, then we're unloving. Because love is love. No, God is love. And God is a holy and righteous God. Yes, I understand. We all have homosexual friends, and, and probably some of us have family whom we love and, yes, we support. 
Because they're our family. I get that. And that's right. But love does not mean we are going to affirm them living in sin. We wouldn't do that for anyone, any other sin. We wouldn't. It would be unloving. The Bible tells us love does not rejoice in unrighteous, but rejoices with the truth. And the sad reality is that immature Christians, because they do not know their Bible, are unable to discern good from evil. And so they celebrate the things that are evil because they, they, they don't know their Bible enough to say, no, that's, no, that's wrong. That's contrary to what God, is, God would desire for their lives. Immaturity weakens the witness of Christ's church to the world. It is unnatural to have a faith that doesn't grow in maturity. Perhaps you're here and you, have, you maybe have a faith, and maybe if you're honest with yourself, you say, well, you know, my faith is, is either immature or it's, it's stagnant. It's, it's not growing. You need to hear the rest of this passage then. We all need to hear this passage, really. But the next encouragement reminds us to grow in maturity, to pursue maturity in Christ, because the next point is the plea to grow in maturity. The plea, the encouragement to grow in maturity. Chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Therefore is a significant word here. It indicates that immaturity is not a state that Christians should remain in. If you find yourself that is you're only eating a milk and you're not trained yet to eat solid food and you've been a Christian for a while, therefore you need to do something about it. Therefore, you need to leave the elementary teachings of Christ and let, let us press on to maturity. It is natural and necessary to grow towards maturity as it is in the spiritual life as it is with our physical lives. The main exhortation here is that phrase, let us press on to maturity. The verb press on means, is an interesting verb. It means to bear something or to carry something along. To bear something or carry. But here, this verb is in, um, uh, is in the passive voice. So, instead of versus the active voice. So, instead of you bearing or carrying something, it, is, it really says, let us be born or let us be carried let us be moved, let us be driven, is the idea. And when it's in the passive voice, there's an idea there, almost of, of that there's someone that you're we're to allow someone to do this, to, to have this effect upon us, so that to carry us and to move us and to drive us. This verb is, in this passive voice is used in Acts 27, 15, and 17 of a, of a ship that's being driven by the wind and the waves. It is used in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, of men moved by the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God. And the one who ultimately who does this work of bringing us on to maturity 
is no less than God himself. It is if God permits, and we see later on verse 3, and yet, no, nevertheless, this is an exhortation. Let us press on to maturity. Let us be carried along. There's, a, there's something that we must intentionally, we must do, we must intentionally place ourselves somehow in God's current, if you will, so that he might carry us towards on to the maturity. This is done by, we see first, by leaving the elementary teaching about Christ. Leaving the elementary teaching about Christ. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we're to abandon this elementary teaching is the gospel. So it doesn't mean we're to completely abandon the gospel truths. Like, oh, you know the gospel, you're saved now, so just, just you can forget all about that stuff. Forget that Christ died, forget that he rose. It, it doesn't mean that at all. But it, it's, it, is this, it is this idea that we, need, that we need to move based upon that, to, to build off that and move forward on, from those of elementary truths. We, we always need to be regularly reminded of these gospel truths in our lives. But we need to move beyond, move, build upon them to other truths that we find in the scriptures. Building off these gospel truths, we must strive to understand why then we ought to live holy and righteous lives. We live holy and righteous lives. Why? So that we might be saved? No. If you know your gospel truth, you know that no no works will save us. It's only by faith. So therefore, it is because we've been saved. That's why we live righteously. We want to be holy as our God is holy. For we want to glorify him. The elementary teaching about Christ is foundational. It doesn't, and thus, doesn't need to be laid again. Right? It's like if we're having our fundamentals class coming up. We have the fundamentals of church life and then rotates the fundamentals of the faith every, uh, every other quarter, basically. If you took our fundamentals of faith class, which introduces you to the basics of the Christian faith, and you understood it, you, you grasped it, your, your teachers made it clear to you, and, but then you, you say, well, you know, I'm going to sign up for the class again next time it comes around. You keep signing up for it and taking it over and over. Your teachers, I hope, will just kick you out after a while. Say, what are you doing here? These are the elementary principles of, the, of Christ, you need to go to the adult one or adult two or adult three class and build upon these gospel truths. In verses one and two, we see three pairs or really six elements of the elementary teachings of Christ, the gospel truths that they were to build upon or leave and move forward towards. First uh, is repentance from dead works. The gospel calls everyone to repent from works that lead to death. The wages of sin is death, so we need to move away from those works, those deeds that to lead to death. We need to repent from them and turn to Christ, to the Father. And that's why we see, secondly, we have faith toward God. When we turn away from sin, we must necessarily also turn towards someone else, towards God in Christ. We must believe that he gave us his son to die for our sins. Those are the first two gospel truths, the elementary teachings of Christ. Third and fourth are instructions about washings and laying on of hands. And there are disagreements among scholars on what these two phrases mean. But I take them to refer to baptism and prayer. The word for washings is the word for baptism. It's translated that way in Colossians 2.12. The laying on of hands, was, especially in the book of Acts, was a common way for that where the 
where the saints would pray for others to receive the Holy Spirit when they believed, among other things, of course. And so, after repentance and faith, it would have been natural to teach about baptism as an outward sign of their faith and praying for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit, especially in the early church era. They did that. Those are gospel truths three and four. Gospel elementary truths five and six are the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This, these truths cause the believer to have hope to look to the future. There is going to be a resurrection of the dead, of all the dead, of everyone in the future. And that resurrection will, be lead, uh, will eventually lead to eternal life for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. But it will lead for others to eternal judgment. So why are they resurrected? So they might be eternally judged. Why don't you just judge their soul? Because why? Because they, with their soul and bodies reunited, will be sent to eternal judgment. That is eternal hell in the lake of fire, where they will suffer for eternity. That's such a terrible doctrine. That is the wrath of God upon sin. And that is why we, that is the, well, the element, why it's a, such an elementary truth that causes us to realize why we need Christ. For only Christ rescues us from that eternal judgment. These are the elementary truths of the gospel that the, that the saints understood, but they, they only remained there. They didn't move on from them. And though they ought to be remembered, they are not all there is to know for the Christian life. So the author then encouraged, thus encouraged the readers to press on to maturity. Before we move on, we should answer the question, what is this maturity that we are to press on towards, that we're to be carried toward, driven towards? Well, this word maturity means, could be mean Perfection. Well, and some do believe that. Well, this we're to grow to become perfect, um, but that's and uh, but that is not our the ex- human experience. So it's more likely that it takes on the other meaning of this word, a meaning, a meaning that me, that's translated completeness. The maturity is described as completeness, and that is the latter idea that is encouraged, exhorted here. The root idea pictures someone or something basically reaching its end. That when something is built or created or made or designed, it has a purpose. It has a goal for which it exists. You and I as human beings created in the image of God, we exist for a purpose, for a goal. There's something about us that, that is not here by accident. Not just, it just happens to be here. We're here to bury in the image of God so that we might reflect God's image to the world. And when we're, particularly when we're saved in Christ Jesus, he makes it possible so that the image of God that was corrupted by sin can now be renewed to reflect the image of God in our world. There's a purpose. And so ultimately our end, our purpose for our existence as Christians is to bear the, reflect God's image, and God's image is perfectly reflected in His Son. Romans 8.29 states that God predestined us to become conformed to the image of His Son. 
Paul writes that the reason he proclaims Christ is so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Complete is the same word. In Ephesians 4.13, where I call to worship, he also writes how, he ex- how we exist to build up the body of Christ. So we, to, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We're to become like Christ. The Christ is to fill our lives. Maturity for the Christian is to think and to act and to live like Christ. Now in this life, none of us will ever be perfectly like Christ. We, it's our, we still have, a, have our bodies. We still have a sin, nature, uh, a sin nature that is part of this cursed body. But we as Christians should be growing more and more like him as we study him, about him, and grasp his word and obey his word in our lives. Because understanding God's word leads us to practice God's word. One more verse, Ephesians 2.10, even tells that we are his workmanship, God's worship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So maturity in Christ is, our, is the completeness in Christ, and completeness is that we should become like Christ. We should do the deeds that Christ would have us do, that he, would, that he has saved us for. But what happens if we don't press on to maturity? Is it possible to remain in a state of immaturity as a Christian? There may be seasons where we are stagnant in our faith. There may be seasons where we are, don't feel like we're growing. It's probably because of sin in our lives, most likely. But to remain there indefinitely is not God's plan and will for our lives. And the author's words in verses 4 to 8 provide for us a sober warning for those who remain in immaturity. That you either grow in maturity in Christ or you will risk falling away from Christ and never return. And so we see in this third and final encouragement in our text that the peril of falling away the peril of falling away. We read chapter 6, verse 48. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. This is the third of the five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. We already saw the first two in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, now we come in chapter 6 here, the third, and is perhaps the most challenging of all the the, uh, warning passages to interpret. And, uh, well, perhaps we get some of the, uh, you can study it on your own a little more in depth, but we'll try to cover it in the last few minutes that we have here. 
Some see, some have seen in these words evidence that a Christian can somehow lose their salvation. Uh, that is not what we teach here at, at As a Bible. We do not believe that scriptures would teach that, that, uh, that uh, all that the, the Father gives Christ and, he, and that uh, none, will, none will be lost. But these, what we understand, our understanding of these warning passages is that they serve to encourage and warn genuine believers to continue following Christ. That yes, they maybe go through a period of weakness, they may go through a period of uh, immaturity, but they are not to remain there. They're to wake up and press on to grow in maturity. For in verses 4 to 6, there's a description of those who fall away, those who fall away from Christ, those who apostatize is a more technical term for it. And there are five clauses in verses 4 through 6 that describe this person who falls away. And it's very interesting, and it's very kind of is challenging. Number one, they have been enlightened. That is, they've been enlightened by God's... By, they've seen the light of God's truth. Number two, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. That's uh, believed to be a, referring to salvation. They, they've they've t- experienced salvation. Number three, they have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they've uh, somehow sh- received blessings of the Holy Spirit. Number four, they have tasted the good word of God. They've, they've been exposed to God's word. They've been taught it. They've been heard it. They might have even t- taught it themselves. Number five, they have tasted of the powers of the age to come. That is, they've experienced the, the power of of the Spirit of God working in and through them and through the church. And that reflects God's work, God's power. All these phrases taken together describe someone who basically, if you, you know, though some, would, some few have said otherwise, basically it describes someone who has experienced salvation in Christ, quite plainly, at least outwardly. You know, the reality is, we can all say we're Christians here. We can all sign a document that says, yeah, I believe in these gospel truths. But none of us can actually see in anyone's heart. No one can look into my heart. No one can look into your heart. At best, we see the deeds that we do, that we do, but even deeds can be faked. And, but we hope that the deeds that are consistently lived down in our lives are the reflection of what's in our hearts, that we genuinely have believed but here are some professing believers who, by all you know, the external, me- external observations, are people who have experienced salvation in Christ. And yet, they're going to fall away and reveal themselves to not really be of Christ. One way to see these, peop- these kind of people is the, is the, w- the wilderness generation in numbers. Remember that? We just studied that not too long ago. That wilderness generation, they had all professed faith in God. They had all applied the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of their home. They had all been delivered from slavery in Egypt by the Lord. They had all followed his presence in the wilderness. They had all built his tabernacle for his presence to dwell among them. They had all received God's word. And yet, they fell away when they were brought to the very cusp of the promised land. They were cursed to die in the wilderness because they would not trust in God. Those who profess faith in Christ, 
give their testimony in a church family meeting, get baptized, become members of the church, serve, teach, worship here among the saints, and then fall away from faith in Christ? Those who know the truth intellectually and knowingly reject it? Those people who have experienced all these blessings of, of salvation in Christ, at least within the body of Christ, to the extent that an unbeliever can experience them. Verse 6 says, It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. That they will find that if they, knowing the gospel truths, understanding completely, and knowing it so well, that yet knowing enough to reject it, it will be impossible for them to repent and return to the Lord. There is no repentance for those who have fully experienced all the blessings of salvation and yet intentionally turn away from Christ, volitionally choose of their own free will to turn away from Christ. For by their intentional, knowledgeable rejection of Christ, they, the author of Hebrews says that they are they're guilty of crucifying the Son of God again. They, they put him to shame. Such people in reality really did not lose their salvation. They simply never had it. That's why they remain in their immaturity, their immature faith. It was a, it was a faith that just saw God as someone who gives them stuff. Gives them blessings. Uh, they gave them a community. Gave them a sense of belonging. Gave them a mission. Gave them some purpose. But they never had Christ. They are like Judas Iscariot, who walked among the twelve, the other apostles, and yet betrayed him for thirty pieces of silver. These are those who, John writes in his epistle, first epistle, these are those who went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So the one characteristic mark of a believer is that their faith will abide and remain, and their faith will be a growing Maturing faith in Christ. You can commit a lot, of, a lot of sins and there is still hope for repentance. But the one who knowingly rejects Christ after having professed and experienced life in the body of Christ, all the blessings of life in the Christ, there is no hope for them, no hope of repentance for them. And that is what God's word says. And that is a serious warning a sobering warning for any who fall away. The final two verses, verse 7 to 8, illustrate this warning. The ground, he describes two types of ground. Ground that, you know, when you have ground, farm, this is a farming illustration, you have ground, you, you till it, you, you sow it, you, you prepare it, you sow the seeds, you water it, and then you, it has to, it's supposed to grow. And with the, the ground that grows and produces vegetation, well, that's going to be blessed by God. That's going to be blessed. But the ground that yields, it doesn't grow with the vegetation. But instead, it, it grows thorns and thistles. is worthless, it says. And it's close to being cursed by God and burned up. 
He recalls for us Jesus' parable of the soils. Remember the soils? The road, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the good soil. Interesting in Matthew 13 there, uh, the rocky soil is explained by Jesus as a, a man who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. It's like, oh man, praise the Lord, I found salvation in Christ. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I want to get baptized. I'm going oh, to give my testimony. I'm so excited about Jesus. Yeah, I'm on team Jesus. Go. He is greater than I. And then when trials come, when troubles come, because they didn't truly have faith, he falls away. He's unproductive, produces no fruit. It is only the good soil that receives the word of God with joy and then allows the soil, the seed to keep growing in their lives where it produces fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. The warning here of, of the danger of falling away is a serious warning for professing Christians everywhere. It is impossible to attend church for many years, even all your life, hear the truths of Jesus, serve in the church, serve in day camp, even share the gospel, get baptized, join the membership, teach others, and still fall away. I can think of several people that I've known over my lifetime that have done just that. We have pastors, well-known pastors, who have fallen away whose books we read and encouraged our souls. And the peril and danger of falling away is an encouragement for us to, for all of us, myself including you as well, I hope to, to make sure that we press on to maturity, that we make sure we're being carried, carried by God towards maturity. We must not allow ourselves to, to, to be entangled by sin, to let sin get a hold on us. We must not allow fear of of, of losing things of this world to cause us to fall away from Christ. We must not be stagnant or we must not be settled for where you are at in your Christian life. We must keep pressing on to maturity in Christ. We are either growing closer to Him or we are growing away. And if we grow away, we risk falling away. And we understand the danger of that. So, are you, Christian, spiritually growing in your faith? Or are you still immature in your faith? Yeah, I don't know. Everybody has a different timeline. But if after several years of being a Christian, you are not interested in God's word, you are, find yourself unable to even explain the basic truths to others, you're not able to teach others, you wrestle and struggle with living righteously, then there's something wrong with your faith. That's just simply the fact. There's something wrong with your faith if you are not growing, at least in some way. And I would encourage you if, you, if you are in that state, you need to talk with someone about it. Talk with an older Christian that you know, someone who has discipled you, perhaps maybe uh, come to talk to the pastors, elders, an older lady in the church. Someone older, it doesn't have to be older in age. We're talking about older in spiritual age. Who can help you discern what may be the cause and find hope because if, you, if that bothers you, that's a good sign. If that bothers you, it's a good sign that you're not in danger of falling away. 
But you need to do something about it because there is that danger. I hope you're not here and you're not just, you're not one of those people that are just happy to have the gospel and know that you're going to heaven when you die. Don't be that Christian. That, is it. that reflects that. If you're just settled for that gospel truth, that elementary truth, you have an immature faith. You're not fulfilling the, the purpose for which God saved you. He saved you not just so he can bring you to heaven. He saved you so that you might reflect him in this world. If such is your faith, if you have an immature faith, open your ears to what the Lord is saying this morning. Don't settle for status quo anymore. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Don't quit the race that we're running. A persistent, immature faith is in danger of falling away when trials and troubles come. And the only cure, if you don't hear anything else, you listen to this. The only cure for an immature faith is to look to his word and find Christ once again. You must turn your eyes and fix your eyes on Jesus. Whatever has caused you to remain in your immaturity, you must cast them aside and go hold on to Jesus. As Hebrews will say later on in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that does run the race, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what we must do, and that's what Hebrews is offering to its readers and to its hearers, that Jesus is the one we must turn our eyes to. Jesus is who we must focus on. I'll leave you with three questions uh, for your discussion, small groups, and... Uh, uh, a little mystery. Is your faith growing or is it stagnant? It looks like more than three. <laughs> and that may be reflected in how you respond to trials in your life. How are you responding? Uh, really, this is the second question. Is what solid food of God's word is encouraging you towards righteous living? So beyond the gospel truths, what, just asking you, what are you studying? What is, what's God teaching in his word? What solid food beyond gospel truths is encouraging you to righteous to live righteously before the Lord. And then uh, thirdly, I think we all know, maybe if you're in Christian, you you maybe think of someone who has fallen away or maybe is in danger of falling away that you can encourage in some way this week, this month, write them a letter, pray for them even. Uh, just think about that and, and, uh, and help them, help one another. We all, we, we need one another to encourage. And so uh, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for our time, for your word and these truths. And we ask that you uh, would... Help us to fix our eyes and turn to Jesus, that we would not lose hold of Christ and the treasure that he is, that we would look to his, your word the, for the treasure of Christ, and that we might grow in our love and appreciation for him. Guard us from immaturity in our faith. Help us all to press on towards mature faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.